This is a recording of a live Resolution Foundation event. We hope you find it some combination of interesting or entertaining. To read the research and access the event slides referenced in this episode, please visit the events section of our website. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our third session of our Labour Market Enforcement uh, Conference. We've been talking about the problem. We've been talking about some proposals from the Resolution Foundation and from some of our panel about things that could be changed. But there's an important thing, which is we live in a democracy. So think tanks can't do anything. They're, in the end, politics decides what happens, what changes happen over time, or at least tries to. Um, uh, and that's what democracy is doing. So for our last speaker, we're going to hear from Angela Reno MP, who's the deputy leader of the Labour Party, uh, and in particular covers the world of work for the Labour Party, including the title, A Labour Party. So they're kind of, kind of interested in that as a topic. At least that's the idea. So Angela's going to give you her reflections on the agenda, the shape of the country as that stands, what a Labour government, if one turns up in 18 months, might do, if it has a majority, will do. They, um, and then we're going to have questions and discussion. So as always, go on to Slido, it's hashtag workers' rights, put them in and we'll have that. And we've got about half an hour. And then you get the wine or the beer, there's no sandwiches. Right. <laughs> Angela, thank you very much thank for coming. You. Very good of you. Look thank you. Look what you've got to say. Lovely. Uh, thank you. Well, I'm glad you've not had the wine yet. You, I know you've had lunch and these chairs look incredibly comfy. And it's a bit like a cinema set, so uh, hopefully you'll all stay with me. Thank you, Torsten, for the invite. I think this is the first time I've ever spoken at one of your events, so thanks for having me. And I must say that some of the swankiest officers I've ever seen, it's really nice. Even the toilets are the workers like to deserve the best. More than once. <laughs> Absolutely. And I can see you've upgraded from Parliament as well, which I'm going to be honest, between the asbestos, the falling debris, the bullies, it feels like a symbol of working conditions after 13 years of Tory rule. And if any civil servants need a discreet conversation, then I am a fully trained union rep. But on a serious note, I used to think that Parliament was stuck in the past, but now I realise it's our entire attitude to work that is. As your report today shows, one third of the lowest paid workers receive less than the minimum wage. Nearly a million workers are denied paid holiday, in effect losing out on a staggering £2 billion a year. And 1.8 million of our most vulnerable workers are refused pay slips. People sitting there on a Monday morning waiting for a text to say whether they are working that day. It's like the bad old days where workers went cap in hand for work, not knowing if they get picked for that day. And with the changing nature of work as we see it, more zero hour contracts, more outsourcing and less oversight. The picture will only get worse. Workers waiting years in the darkness for justice in an employment tribunal, new mothers still breastfeeding as they're herded out. A deceitful emphasis on individuals having to enforce their own rights when those most at risk are, of course, least likely to report or have the means to do so. Working people not knowing where to turn and where their pay is illegally docked, the government doesn't want to talk about it but this is real for workers up and down the country. I recently learned of a case of a group of salad pickers in Sussex forced to live on in unthinkable conditions. They work all day in icy refrigerators and then go home at night to caravans that are just as cold. 
But when they complained, they were told to like it or lump it. If they made a fuss, other workers would simply be found to take their places. And when it was reported to the authorities, the response was that they couldn't take action to intervene. Being no doubt, this benefits none of us. Just look around. We have ended up with no salad on our supermarket shelves and working people lacking the money to spend in our economy. The UK desperately needs a new approach to protect workers. We desperately need to make sure that our employment laws are binding and we desperately need to stop expecting individuals to enforce their own rights. For me, it all starts by recognising that having strong and fair protections is crucial to having a strong, fair and healthy economy. The two are interlinked and compatible. I'm saying it everywhere I go now, but boosting incomes, ending the scourge of insecure work and advancing well-being in the workplace won't hurt economic growth. It's a vital ingredient to mar the marvellous medicine that we've been missing for 13 years. It's how we'll create good jobs across the UK, raising living standards and sharing in the wealth. And it's how we'll drive up productivity too, and we all know where that is at the moment. It will propel innovation and unlock a new age of growth. Good for working people, good for business and good for our economy. That's my motto. And that's what my new deal for working people will achieve. A future where Britain works for the working people once again. But this is only part of the puzzle. Because stronger rights and protections are only worth the paper that they're written on if they're properly enforced. Working people won't just get fair pay, but a decent, meaningful job, self-respect and to contribute. They want to work to live, not live to work. But I know for a fact that working people in my community in Ashton Underline in Greater Manchester don't feel protected at work. Neither do the garment workers in Leicester or the agricultural workers in Norfolk. And that's because the government is failing to stamp out wrongdoing in the workplace. We saw what happened with P&O and to this day, nothing has been done about that scandal. They are failing to get tough on those who abuse the rules by failing to enforce the laws to protect people at work. Those in power just don't get it. After 13 years of Tory economic failure, the cost of living crisis is pushing people to the brink. I was up in Scotland last week and time and time again, people spoke about their lost hope. And it was different back in my day, they'd say. Back then you could have a good job that was well paid and that you could rely on. But today, good work is out of reach for too many. People across the UK aren't just struggling they're crying for an end to the pain. A fair day's wage for a fair day's work shouldn't be out of the ordinary, but for too many, it is. That will stay the case without a sea change in the enforcement of workers' rights nationally. For too long, however, under the Conservative, the UK's enforcement regime has been under-resourced and overstretched and vulnerable people have been left to stand alone when things went wrong, left to the mercy of a chat box instead of human resources. While the national minimum wage is flouted and poor health and safety leads to mental health, broken limbs or worse. 
But it's not just workers who have, the Conservatives have failed. This lawless Wild West of workers' rights leads to a cycle of undercutting that harms good business too. Of course, the employers who flout the rules are in the minority, but the lack of checks and balances is bad for all of us, including employers who treat their workers well and who just want to compete on quality and innovation, rather than a race to the bottom. This is why the next Labour government will turn this Tory, Tory failure on its head, learning from where Labour's in power locally, Manchester, Liverpool, Preston and more, where fair work is put at the heart of their public administration. We will make sure that our employment laws are truly in force in every corner of the country and that deterrence actually deters. We will establish a single enforcement body for workers' rights and protections with real teeth to get the job done and extensive new powers to inspect workplaces and civil proceedings. Legislating for it within our first 100 days of entering office, unlike the Tories who have promised year upon years with no sign of delivery. We will extend time limits to bring cases to employment tribunals, which I know something that the former Deputy Prime Minister might not like, and get tough on those who fail to comply with tribunal orders. We will build on the government's naming and shaming for employers who fail to pay the national minimum wage with a similar scheme to encourage businesses to check their supply chains as well for modern slavery breaches. We will learn from trade unions leading the way in maintaining healthy and safe workplaces and we will enable workers to bring grievances to ACAS collectively meaning that from minimum wage infringements to cases of sexual assault and workers will be, these workers will be able to stand against abuse together. When we say that Labour will be a mission-driven government that confronts long-term issues head-on, this is what we mean. When we say that we are the party that is on working people's sides, this is what we mean. And when we say the next Labour government has the ambitious plan for a future of work where all workers are treated with respect and enjoy security and thrive. This is what we mean. For too long, the enforcement of workers' rights has been seen as an afterthought, something that is nice to have rather than an essential component of a healthy workplace. And in the Tories' race to the bottom, it's workers who are paying the price. But it doesn't have to be like this. A strong, fair and effective enforcement regime is vital to creating good jobs across the UK and living, raising living standards. The two go hand in hand. So I want to say a big thank you to the Resolution Foundation for shining a light on this issue at an important time. And I hope to continue to work with you on it. Labour has a vision for a world of work that offers workers dignity and respect once more. A world of work that is secure so more can prosper. A world of work where a job means fair pay and fair conditions that are enforced. And with our new deal for working people, we have a plan to achieve it. We will strengthen workers' rights, we will tackle the Tory scourge of insecure work and we will make sure people's rights are upheld and not forgotten. Not for the benefit of a few, but for the benefit of us all. And I just want to say in my closing remarks that one of my first jobs that I did was as a manual worker as a home help. I worked in the private sector and then went into uh, local government. 
And at that time, we went from a group of girls that were considered manual workers, and we were all girls at that time, on um, casual contracts, they were called in them days, they're now the zero-hour contracts that we know. We went from that to a unionised workplace where we got um, good pay, a career structure, a minimum qualification of an MVQ level two, and we were in secure work with paid holidays. Not only was that good for us, who some of those girls had never left school with any qualifications and suddenly their grown-up children were watching them qualify with foundation degrees at university. We were delivering the best care and we were keeping people out of hospital and we were contributing to society. That's the kind of work that we want to deliver again once we're back in government. Thank you. Thank you very much, Angela. Loads of food for thought there, both on the realness of the problem and then what you would like to do uh, about it. So let's maybe dig into a bit. So I thought, we, why don't we start off with, um, is there one story from personal experience of interacting with someone or experiencing something that makes you think this issue matters? So I'll give you an example. So my answer to that question, while well, you have a time to think about it, is getting a train back into London once really early in the morning, I think off a flight, um, uh, getting sitting down someone coming in the train and sitting down opposite me a guy holding his sandwiches whose phone goes as he sits down the doors close on the train and i can only hear his side of the conversation obviously but he's basically being told don't bother coming in today there's no work basically and he's saying i've paid i've already paid dealt with childcare, and i've already bought my sandwiches and i basically and i'm paying i'm paying for the train fare so i've already paid out in three ways i'm on the way in and the person's just like get off the train the next stop go back the, um, and that's always stuck with me is like whenever I'm like thinking another report is it worth it I'm like that one like that is not what a good labour market looks like now that's one example I'm leaving aside the like what happened in the pub when I was a kid but like the um, where there was casual was a good nice word for the contracts uh, but anyway but like is there any any like story or real thing that sticks with you that always keeps you motivated I mean you gave us your story about the difference between those two workplaces sure. I think what frustrates me the most is that it holds people back. Insecure casual work holds people back. It holds people back on being able to get housing. It holds people back on uh, even just basic. My, my friend who works in hospitality and she's on a, one of those contracts, she can't even plan if she's going on holiday with the kids in, in that year. Any Anything, you know, um, trying to get credit for anything. You just Everything kind of grinds you down. And every week is a, is a week where you you're not quite sure whether or not you're going to be able to afford your bills or not. You don't know what, and it's hard as well. Um, it's hard when you're financing anyway. We're, you know, we, when you've got a salary and you know what's coming in, it's hard to budget. But if you don't know what you're getting and it's fluctuating every month and every week, that's incredibly hard to. Uh, even if you don't, if you don't get a wage slip, how are you supposed to track what money you even meant to have? You'd have to be. I mean, some of my friends who are in the lowest um, paid jobs. They have to finance and budget more than I could even dream of doing it. They literally follow every penny and pound, and it's so hard to do that. And that is mentally wearing for you when you've got a million and other jobs to do. So just that level of insecurity is pernicious in everything that you do in your life. It prevents you from having that security 
that, that bedrock to then build on what you want to do and achieve, even on a week-to-week -week basis, month-to-month. -month. And, and I think it affects the children as well, because it definitely affects my friends' children. They, they understand it, they get it. And I, I worry about that generation as well, of the next generation coming forward and, and that feeling of never quite having that security. And it does penetrate every part of a person's life. And this idea that people like being on insecure work, that's untrue. There's, there is a group, a very small group of people that like insecure work and they can always get it because they're skilled and they know where it's coming from. But majority of people who are on these type of contracts, it is just living purgatory for them. Very good. The, the, politics is about priorities. So if you talk a bit about what they are. First hundred days. Like, all right, all right, don't give us the answer. <laughs> I haven't asked you the question yet. The way this goes is question and answer, Sorry. otherwise if we're going to be here all night. Right, we won't, we'll get done too fast. Right, so um, we're just sorting out the IT. So let's broaden this one out a bit, but the question is basically, we'll come up on the screen here, but if Labour win the next election, if what will be the top priorities on workers' rights? You've given us one of them, 100 days, but would introducing an employment bill, so labour market regulations as opposed to enforcement changes, or a Ministry of Labour, institutional changes rather than enforcement changes, be the top priority. I was going to add to that, so that we do a prioritisation between institutional change, new Ministry of Labour, uh, pay changes, higher minimum wage, rights changes, regulation, enforcement changes. What's our ordering? And you can't just say all of them. Oh, well, it would have to be the two that you said last as my first two, so employment rights and enforcement. enforcement. I mean, okay. I don't care what vehicle you use, so that one will come last. Okay. Right. <laughs> institutional okay. change. I've, I'm, okay. I've never really... I came from local government, which is like the bedrock of institutions. <laughs> I've always seen how I've got round some of those institutions to be the most innovative, <laughs> if I'm honest. So I, I don't see as, you know, creating a ministry as, as the number one priority. The number one priority to me is creating... Uh, the enforcement and the employment law and the cultural shift that we need to see in the country. And that's why we're going to introduce it in the first 100 days of legislation. It's because this is the number one priority for Labour. You know, one of our, our key missions is around the productivity of the country and, and the, being one of the best performing in the G7. That can't happen if we don't have this employment enforcement and regulation and terms and conditions and pay and all of those things as part of that. Because at the moment we've got a lopsided economy and there's people out there that are creating the pr productivity but are not necessarily being paid for it and are not being able to then you know, spend that in our local economy and, and it's very insecure. So for me, number one priority is that first 100 days, getting that legislation, getting that cultural change and getting that enforcement right. Because then once people realise that you mean what you say and say what you mean, as my nan used to say to me when I was first parenting, mean what you say and say what you mean, and then they'll realise that there's no getting around it. That's where the future is and hopefully we can move it in that right direction. Because enforcement is only one part of it. Obviously, we need a cultural shift to see that people, uh, that employers, the good employers get rewarded for their efforts and their work and the poor employers realise that they will not be able to continue in that practice. For all the civil servants watching, you could just save them some hassle. So is the plan to publish, get it done in the 100 days, are we gonna, does that mean you're going to get all the, the bill written before the election so they don't need to bother? Yeah. Well, or should they like get, like, who's doing the work here? 
Well, I mean, or you're going to publish it before the I election. I mean, it'll be it'll be a very interesting access talks. That's all I can say. That when, means I, when, I, when I when I speak to the top, so I remember the first time I went through access talks um, when we didn't think we'd win the general election, and I made the permanent secretary come all the way to Ashton because I thought there's no point coming to London. Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm wasting this guy's time, and he was absolutely like, no, we've really got to meet you. <laughs> this is part of the process when I was shadow education secretary, and um, and. And those, those, those talks will be very important talks because we're already starting to develop. We've been working with businesses. This isn't something that I'm foisting on businesses and saying, hey, in fact, some of the stuff like the um, menopausal policies, when I went to the businesses with it, they said, we've been doing that years. Oh, why are you not looking at this? So I thought, fair play. I thought they'd be hostile. Actually, they were very um, welcoming of the stuff we've been saying on, 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 on employment and procurement. So we're working already with trade unions, with business, and we've got um, a green paper all ready to go. So it's, it's all being done. So they should do some work, but you're going to do a lot of the work. They will have a very happy experience of being able right. to do something good and feel good about that. Oh, okay. I promise Okay, them. It will be good is the message, right? Okay. It will be good and they will be feeling very warm and cuddly and happy about doing something positive. Right. Okay. We're, we're, right. Now, <laughs> business. Yes. So has business's view of enforcement and of minimum standards. So the stereotype of the 90s and the 2000s is, including on the minimum wage, business is saying, don't be so stupid. You need employment up. You do that by deregulating the labour market. Lower minimum standards is the route to, a, to growth. That's obviously not what you think. But where is, where's business in 2023 versus 1999? Well, like I said, to be honest, they weren't as sceptical as I thought they would be. There were a few things we were a bit concerned about, like rights from day one, single status of work, that were a bit like, well, how's that going to work? When I told them you can still sack people, but you've got to do it fairly, they were like, ah, oh, OK. You know, it's, it's almost as if I was saying, like... Are we like, reassured that that's the key? Well, I mean... As long as I can fire know, people, that's OK. As long as you do it fairly and for a good reason, then there has always been a method in this country to dismiss a worker. You know, just, just if they got the rights from day one, it doesn't mean to say you can't dismiss people in a fair way if there is a reason for it. And that's, I think that was people getting their head around that, you know, it's like, oh, right, OK. Um, so it was about, um, well, why why do we give someone a qualified... There'll still be... A, the other issue was around probationary periods, and there would still be, you know, probationary periods, and that was a misconception. But generally, when I explained it all to them, um, most of them just saw it as, well, we were doing that anyway, and some employers are going even further than that because they understand that, actually, the nature of work and the work that they do, they can't get the staff if they don't pay them correctly. They can't keep the staff if they don't have the good policies uh, in place and that they don't give people secure work. So in the private sector in particular, a lot of employers are actually exceeding my target. It's just in certain sectors at the moment, there is uh, troublesome within those sectors in terms of, you know, um, people getting secure work, people getting uh, decent pay and people getting good terms. Which, so I'm raising... Which sector are you most... Who's the like number one firing line sector? Well, I mean, you've got the gig economy for one, which I think has been under-regulated and people, you know, are often on these type of casual contracts are self-employed. Um, they're issues that we need to. Care sector, you know, we need to 
really bring our standards up in the care sector. And I gave you a little taste of that and I'm so passionate about it because I know that will unlock the problems we've got in the NHS. And I know that not only will we save a huge amounts of money if we do what the last Labour government did and bring in those qualifications and bring in those standards in care and make sure that we've got the care workers that are trained to give people complex needs at home. We'll save loads of money. The NHS, it's so much more costly to have your grandparent on a trolley in an AE department than it is to have a home carer in their home who's trained, who can deliver them the best care. So it's mind-boggling to me who's worked in that sector for 15 years to see that we've gone backwards actually now and we're paying more money for a worse service because we're not delivering what people need at the right time. And that's the same in, in, in a lot of sectors at the moment. If we can't get people to get the care, dentistry now, we've got a time bomb going because loads of people can't get dentistry. That will impact on their health overall. That will lead to days so lost before, I mean, pay. we're already famous for having bad teeth exactly. around the world. Exactly, prior, but. but we all know that good oral hygiene is really important foundation for keeping people in work and keeping people healthy. We're going to have an explosion of problems that people can't get dentistry at the moment. So we're going to, it's going to cost us because they're all going to end up in A&E and they're all going to end up with time off work and they're all going to end up iller as a result. So it's, it's, it's just like at the moment, the government haven't got a plan, a long-term plan, whether that's a workforce strategy plan for things like the NHS or whether that's a plan for some of our healthcare systems or some of these industries that we're yep. not going away. These industries are here and they're a big part of our economy. So it's a plan about how we make sure that they're working for everybody and everyone's interests at the moment. There isn't one at the moment. And that's really frustrating. It's frustrating for me because you, you say that a next Labour government, and I've been in opposition for eight years now and it's no fun, but the idea of coming into government and it being such in such a mess as well is no fun either. You know, the Liz Trust economic people say to me, oh, when Liz Trust crashed the economy, you must have thought, great, Labour's definitely in. And I thought, no, because what are we inheriting? You know, this is so bad that it's it, it, it's it's becoming a lost generation of people who have not got opportunity at the moment. So it's going to take a long time to, you know, repair that. But then all the nice things that we want to do, it's going to be a challenge to get there because we're going to have to fix the mess that, that we're coming into. And that, to me, I just think we need to... It would be nice to have seen an employment bill from... Rishi Sunak, the government promised an employment bill, we still haven't had one. It would have been nice to at least made some progress so that if Labour were lucky enough to get in, I could do nice things instead of undoing all the, the mess that, that, that we currently have. So the, the care sector should definitely be up in lights. Let's do another one. And there's, yes. there's a few questions on this. So this question is bringing it from the point of view of agriculture, where you probably see the most extreme bit of this, but there's a wider question on the, over, the interaction between our migration regime mm. and your employment and your employment enforcement regime, where you obviously have it existing as a quantitative relationship, and then you have a challenge about the individuals who are yeah. having to suffer from abuse in both cases. So, Kate Roberts from Flex, one of our speakers earlier, uh, is asking: When we think about agriculture, what do we do about short-term visas, which make people can make people in a very vulnerable situation? Yeah, I mean, we've said that we understand that in labour markets there will be need for overseas work. That that has to be, you know, we want a point-based system for immigration, and we do we would accept that in certain instances that we need uh, visas, but we need enforcement. Of, of employment practices here as well so that you can't exploit workers I mean the two go hand in hand and in, the, in, in 
as part of that, and it's not necessarily as, as true for agriculture, but it's true in a lot of sectors as well, is that we also need to home grow our talent as well. The two things are very important. We, you know, we have an obligation um, to the global world, and in particular to developing countries, to not just keep stealing their doctors, quite frankly, if I can be as blunt as that, and actually start growing our own, and that's part of our plan to do that. But when we bring overseas workers here, it's really important that those workers are not treated uh, inferior to workers who are working here as well. So you've got to have that enforcement. That, that's important as well. And part of the problem we've got at the moment is because of our visa system and the system that the government have been introducing is in agriculture in particular now, we're having really bad problems getting crops because they're not growing them. They haven't got the workers to pick the crops. They haven't got the subsidy anymore that helped them and enabled them. So I met with the, um, the F the, the farmers union and they were very clear on the dangers that we face on food security in the UK so it, it's much broader issue than workers that are coming overseas there's a real big impact on agriculture in the UK at the moment because we're not getting overseas workers we're not getting the support to our agriculture sector at the moment and a lot of the um, farmers are saying I can't afford to grow that crop which then leads us to problems of food security and that is a real risk to us at the moment and we've seen it a bit this year but we Again, we're in that cycle for next year and the government have failed to do anything to act on that. Would you rather, insofar as there's some trade-off, would we rather have like, agricultural labour around the world, even in countries that care about labour market enforcement a lot, right, is an area where you get problems. Like the, if you have a big temporary uh, migrant worker population doing agriculture, you will get more labour market problems in general. Now, we can try and do better within that, but some people's answer to that is, we will get some of that, but food security, the NFU's answer, right, Minute Batters, very, impo very impressive yeah. lobbyist, but their answer is, it's really important we produce the stuff domestically. Um, actually, Brexit in some ways has made us produce more stuff domestically, right, because it put more frictions into agricultural trade. It's just the workforce is the barrier. You've got to give us the short-term visas. Um, we promise we won't do anything bad to the employees, but we will, because that's what happens in a sector with very low margins around the world. So do you think, should, do you want to give Minette Batters what she wants, which is large amounts of short-term labour if they want it, or do you want a smaller agricultural sector? Well, I, I don't think that you necessarily have to expect that short-term contracts means that you have poor contracts and poor working conditions. I think if you know at a particular time that you're going to have a particular influx of workers, then enforcement becomes even more important at that time you know you can see it in australia they do that in other mm -hmm. countries they know when at particular times of the year in particular areas where they're going to have a, a particular problem so therefore you go and find it. that's how the police police on neighborhood policing they know at a particular time in a particular place in a particular area you might probably get a bit of trouble so they'll go and inspect okay. it at that time so enforcement's really important as part of that as well just because you're an overseas worker or you work in a particular sector or it's for only a couple of months i don't see why we should treat people poorly at work because of that let's do one last specific kind of sector and then do some big picture wrap up to let you go off to um everything else so we mentioned this actually in an earlier session i think we're doing sewerage no i think we're just sewage. done no i think you've just done sewage, sewage yeah, yeah matt warm's gone off to vote on sewage oh i see the, um so he, here's the question more crap what do you think about <laughs> that is both sorry that is both obvious inevitable and still lower the tone but it's fine <laughs> The, um, uh, I got away with it though. You got Joel. away with it. They all enjoyed it. You know, that's a you know, short term gain to all your well being, but you'll feel bad about it later. <laughs> now, uh, hand car washes. Hand car washes. Yes. Okay, yeah. Um, they're all over the place yeah. in the UK. Loads of them. There's no way they're not breaking labour market rules. Yeah. What are we going to do about them? 
well, again, you can look at how you can enforce these things. I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not your fairy godmother that's going what? to be able to solve everything overnight. But that doesn't mean to say that we expect people to be exploited on our doorstep. You know, there is people that use car washers, the majority of them would be horrified if they thought that people were being exploited when they're giving over the money to do that. So I do, think... Do you think they don't, people using hand car washers, do you think they don't know that they're paying an amount for that car wash? There's no way... Well, I think, they probably think, I think they're probably thinking it's cash in hand and the tax man's not getting any of it, but they're probably thinking that those people are earning them enough for them to live. And, you know, I don't think people are there thinking these people are living in really seriously slavery conditions as they get the car wash, but they probably think these people are not paying the tax man what the tax man's owed from it, if I'm, if well, I'm truly honest. That's definitely not... That, that's either. kind of how I would think the average person yeah. going into a car wash thinks is, like, they're probably not paying the tax but they're probably earning a living and that, that's good and I'm helping them earn a living. Um, so I think, you know, in enforcement, it's about how far you can go in, in trying to raise those standards and improve people's lives. And I don't see no-go areas in, in doing that. But the reality is, is that, you know, you have to continue to keep up the pressure in all of these areas and, and also in the public consciousness about that as well. Because then when people understand, if people thought that the getting their car wash meant that somebody was um, being, you know, subjected to modern slavery and pretty certain most of them would wash their own car and wouldn't go there that's not what people think so it's think about highlighting if that is an issue if that's what's going on then people need to to understand that's what's going on and i think consumers wouldn't wouldn't have anything to do with it if they thought that these people were subjected to modern slavery do, do you think the public support for sending in inspectors into car washes to check people earning the minimum wage do you think people would think that's a good that's what the government should be doing or that's like like we all quite enjoy having our cars cleaned why are you doing that okay then maybe they're technically underpaying them but it's only hmrc losing out it's not the individuals yeah. what do you reckon i mean i think you know sending people in to see that people are being treated fairly and that you know one of the things that i'm really concerned about as well is health and safety and this is what i mean about individuals if that individual in the car wash wants a contract of employment and wants to be treated fairly and is, is in subject to dangerous conditions at the moment there's pretty not much they can do about it other than putting their head above a power pit and trying to work it out for themselves and that's why some of what you were saying in your report but what we've done as part of our new deal for working people is about making sure that collective action can be taken and that we can send people in to look at that and that the the new single enforcement body can bring prosecutions and civil proceedings so that those people are not left in those vulnerable situations as well very good let's go up from an individual sector to the big picture of the labor market and then we'll finish on okay. doing government. But on the on the big like the labour market, we won't finish. We're not going to go on until that long. I mean, that, people have been, <laughs> right, they've okay. been patient, but they're not sitting there for eighteen months and then <laughs> rolling the dice and seeing what happens in an election. They've all lived through the last fifteen years. They're not doing that, right? So, good good news in the labour market. Mm -hmm. So let's just do like, what's the best thing that has changed in the UK labour market? Because a lot of what we've been talking about is about the bad stuff, right? It's depressing. It's like things going in the wrong direction, or just the levels of the problem being really big. Okay, hand car washes have definitely grown significantly, for example. But what's the best thing to give us a bit of like optimism that we think is on the tide of history is in the right direction? So like, could be job satisfaction generally has held up. It's pretty high overall, which has been falling amongst low-earning workers, which we should really care about, is our view. But overall, job satisfaction is not down for the punters, but that could be because of false consciousness or whatever yeah. you want. The, um, is it unemployment risk is definitely down. So you look at the 80s, you look at people's chances of being unemployed, 
they're much higher, they're like many times higher than today, leave aside the pandemic. Um, but so generally unemployment risk is just far lower. So that kind of insecurity is down, even though the contractual kind of insecurity is up for some kinds of workers. Is that the best thing? Well, the third one I was going to offer is the like slow death of the patriarchy definitely, I'm not saying it's fast enough, but the slow death of the patriarchy is definitely means that if you look at where the growth in professional work is, like it, we are basically slowly over time, partly because of educational outcomes, like yeah. the upgrading, occupational upgrading for women has gone on year after year after year for the last 25 years. It's really quite significant. Uh, it's ba and low oh, men are not. Well, I'm saying, but, like, so, but it's like the tide of history is in well, that I was direction. So happy, it's not turned out, but like, what's the best thing that you don't have to have that one? We've been allowed in the room. Not allowed in the room, or, you know, or not in some rooms. But anyway, but what's the like? What's the best thing that's happened? Give us some perk. Okay. Well, I think the best best thing that's happened and it's kind of linked to the unemployment one in a perverse way is because employers are now having to compete more for their employees in in majority of sectors so that means that there is improvement it's a bit like you know the victorians gave us more sanitation because we were all dying and stuff so they decided we needed more we on a more simplistic way we're still using that so yeah yeah exactly it's still working it's, it, it stood the test of time but i think employers are taking it upon themselves to improve things they're not waiting okay. for regulation because they're realizing that if they want to increase productivity having high turnover of staff having high levels of sickness and things like that actually it's not good for them so hr departments are coming up with the policies i'm shocked at how much they already do in the good ones that's what i'm saying it's a minority yeah. that where we've got um, particular spots i would say majority of employers are actually working in a in a much better way and really understand the well-being of their workforce is linked to their productivity and therefore is linked to their, their their margins and their profits so they're doing more and investing more in their in their staff and their frustration is that they they, they want the government to invest more whether that's in infrastructure in it in connectivity in uh, skills for the workforce uh, in in tr uh, the new technologies and and, and new enterprises for the future that's what i get back for them but they recognize the workforce that they have is important and nurturing that workforce and treating them well um is the right thing to do and i'm inspired actually by a lot of the employers that i've had contact with who are already getting this and doing it um and therefore the shock won't be as big to them if it's a big shock to you my new deal for working people then look in the mirror and say am i a good employer because <laughs> good most good employers okay. do not see it as a shock. So the good news is, so some worker shortages driving up standards is like yes. what's recently perked up. I, w I would say that that is definitely something that I've seen happening is worker shortages have meant that people are having to invest more and give more, whether that it might not necessarily be in terms of pay, although that has happened in the private sector, pay has, has increased. Um, but in, in things like, you know, flexibility for workers in, in what I would say, like the SOC HR elements of what an employer provides to their work, work, workforce. They've, they've invested more in that as well. Okay, then last question to wrap us up because we promised them all a drink upstairs afterwards. I do not want to shares. come between them not, and their them wine. Their I hope it's a decent wine that you have offered them. We're a, we're a charity. I'll tell you what it is. It's appropriate wine. Okay. <laughs> not so posh that anyone thinks that charitable resources are being badly used. 
Yeah. So what you deserve. A nice right? crisp, but not a nice terrible. crisp one, not one that tastes like okay. vinegar. You can go up and judge it in a second. Okay. I feel like I feel like we're not I'm, having wine I quality feel, in this like, chat. I feel like I must do oh, this okay, for you got, guys right, just to make. We'll have a poll on that afterwards. Like, <laughs> all I'd say is be lucky for what you've got, people. Now, uh, the last question is a big question. You can tell us how you want, which is. Um, so you obviously hope there's a Labour government in 18 months, I'm kind of assuming. Net, on balance, you've thought about it, you think that would be a good idea. Yes. Uh, if, and, you, and you've set us through a kind of a whole set of things, some of them in the enforcement space, but some of them outside the enforcement space on things you'd change in the UK labour market. People going away from this event uh, or businesses thinking about it, should they think that is a radical plan or should they think it's not a radical plan? It depends on where they are on the spectrum, to be honest. Like I say, some of them will think, well, that's a bit underwhelming compared to what they're doing and what they're looking at you know some companies are even more innovative than I've said in my in, in my new deal for working people I think most people will see it as well fair play that that sounds pretty reasonable and workable and we can do something that will be I don't think it's a big shift for most employers but I think it will make an incredible difference to those workers that need it and there is a lot of workers that need it your report makes that clear um, our findings makes that clear that for those workers that this little shift will make huge difference to their lives which comes back to that original question at the beginning when i explained about how insecurity is so uh, vicious to somebody's lives on a day-to-day -day basis that to make that minimal change that i don't think is huge i don't think it's radical actually i think it's 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 respectful i think it will incredibly change some people's lives for the better every day and i think that's great and we can all feel happy about that and i'm and i've not met an employer yet that wants to go home thinking they've treated their workers badly. So the imperative for them is to get on board and do this with us. Very good. Okay, well, let's wrap up there, because I think thinking about enforcement, one thing that the report is trying to get across, but it's obviously everybody in theory can be affected by elements of like discrimination happens to people on lower incomes, high incomes, all the rest, but uh, the burden is definitely on lower earners and getting the enforcement regime right in partly is us saying to you all, if you don't get it right, there's concentrated pain amongst certain groups and that is where the that is not what respect and dignity exactly. and the rest looks like so i think that's a good way for us to wrap up so can we all thank angela for her thoughts today thank you and um and i should thank you all for coming i, I can't clap you all but i'm going to thank you by giving you the appropriately high quality uh, wine that you should get upstairs and we should also thank um this all the supporters of this project unbound philanthropy all of the organizations that contributed to it and can we give one last clap to the team that have done the work over four years thank you very much. thank you for listening to this resolution foundation event you can find more episodes and the latest living standards research on the resolution foundation website